With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Trickeration. Welcome to Trickeration, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to Trickeration, the number one podcast about deception in sports, the only podcast devoted to chronicling acts of deception in sports, schemes, scams, hoaxes, pranks, cheating. We're here to break it all down with actual people involved in these deceitful and delightful acts. This week, the story of Julie Miller, a middle-aged triathlete who tried to pull the wool over everyone's eyes, and a conversation with the man who figured it out and brought her down. All right. Onto the show. This never should have got to the the point where it did. You know, we're just a bunch of people that are running around swimming, biking, running. It's not important. I just wish she'd said, yeah, I just screwed up. So that her life really just didn't get completely turned over by the fact that she refused to admit it. Unfortunately, that's not how it worked out. Certainly, unfortunately for Julie, anyway. This is James Young, a triathlete and triathlon coach from Canada. Back in 2015, James's wife, Claire, was competing in the women age 40 to 44 category of the Ironman Canada. This was a qualification event for the World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. The grueling race in Whistler began uneventfully, but would end disrupting the life of one participant forever. Well, I don't know where to start. It was a nice sunny day. There was nothing unusual, nothing weird. It was just a, a normal July day in Whistler from a weather point of view. There was no variables that were messing up the race. And for people who don't know, what are the distances of an Ironman and what is the key to successfully finishing one? Okay, so the swim is 2.4 miles. The bike is 112 miles. And then the run is a full marathon. And if you don't do the right amount of training, it's going to for sure be a miserable day. I mean, the, the really the, the rule of the day is drop the ego at the door. <laughs> because if you go into it with too much ego, then you're in for a, a tough ride. And what kind of athlete is your wife? And what were Claire's expectations that day? She's super, super, super consistent. She never gets injured. Her performances are always just better each time. Everything that she goes into is done with almost a robotic monotony to the point where there's no variables. So she went in there with a pretty good idea of, I'm going to qualify for Kona. 
I don't know anyone else out there that is going to be able to beat me other than Suzanne Davis. And who is Suzanne Davis? She's been in triathlon forever. She was a Kona age group champion at one point. So Claire had a pretty good idea of, okay, if someone's going to beat me, likely beat her, but she's the one I'm going to be gunning for. She's the one that I'm aiming for. So what are the stakes of something like this? Is there like a monetary prize in this race? And for for top triathletes, what kind of money can you even make? So uh, there's no money. Some people gain a little bit of local notoriety in their town. If you're a pro triathlete, I think that by the end of the year, you could have accumulated probably enough money to buy a T-shirt if you're lucky. <laughs> okay, so this is more of like a hobby for people. And one thing I've never understood, with all those people running, how do they even keep track of everyone? And how do they monitor a race that covers so much ground? Throughout the race, there are timing mats that when you pass over the top of the mat, the timing chip on your ankle registers the time that you did that. As you pass over the timing mat, you hear like a little as it registers your chip. And the idea is that they're put down in strategic locations, not only to work out timing as you go around, but also to make sure that you've actually done the course as well. And what do these chips look like and, and how do they securely fasten them on? It's a little device on your ankle. If you can imagine a plastic Casio watch, if you were to take the band off of the watch and replace the band with a Velcro strap, that's effectively what a timing chip is. And it takes a considerable force to get the Velcro off. Okay, so I know it goes swim, then bike, then run. Can you give me an overview of how things progressed in the race for Claire? Now, Claire swims like a lead something. Anything made of lead, that's Claire. Claire swims. Inevitably, she's always behind the certainly mid-pack or a little bit above mid-pack, but certainly chasing people. So she came out the swim, hadn't lost too much time. Then she got on the bike. And like I said, she can be very, very robot-like so her bike was super steady all the way around. Claire came off the bike. And at that point, Suzanne was ahead of Claire. I think there was about 10 minutes difference or something. That's really an Ironman where the race starts. It's who's going to come first and second, Suzanne or Claire. Claire is categorically a runner first and foremost. Suzanne Davis, great runner. There's no one that's going to catch those two, not in a million years. And for the run portion, is this just like an A to B line or is it a loop around that they do multiple times? So you have this little loop at the start of the run around the lake. Then you wind your way through, um, I think it's called the village way, which is a nice path through the Whistler trees, through the, the subdivisions and head out onto the main road and then head out all the way down to do a turnaround. And then you come back through and again, go through some of the trails down by the lake, and then you don't go all of the way back to the start, but you kind of pass the start off to your right, and then you head out on the Lost Lake loop again. The first people get off onto the run. There's not many people on the run course, so you get to have a very good idea without too much clutter of who's where and, and why they're there. The spectators who knew Suzanne would have been shouting, you're first, you're first, you're first. Claire's 10 minutes behind. Other people that are friends with Claire are like, Claire, you're second, you're second, you're second. The person behind you is quite a way away. And this was just the entire way around the run. To cut a long story short, they got to the finish line. Suzanne came through first. Claire came through second. Everyone's hugging, kissing, 
Claire goes over to Suzanne. Well done. Congratulations. Blah, blah, blah. Claire thinks that's it. I'm qualified. Suzanne knows she's qualified. And Claire and I went to a coffee shop. Get to get a, a cake and a coffee. Um, and while we sit in the coffee shop, I call up the results because I start obsessing over data and I'm just want to find out, okay, how far was Claire behind on the swim? How far was she away on the bike? And I look at the results and then suddenly there's Julie Miller first. I'm like, where's this Julie Miller come from? It must be a mistake. And then this kind of bubbly uh, girl and her husband sitting at the table next to her saying, are you talking about Julie Miller? And I said, yeah. And she said to me, I've just looked at the results and seen her name pop up with a 325 marathon. She said, there is no way she ran that time. I know her. I live in the same town. There is no way she ran that. So I said, okay, it's just a, one of those timing screw ups. And the, the timing gets screwed up quite often. There's so many people, so many timing mats. It's not unusual. So we went over to the officials and we spoke to them. The race officials informed Claire and James that a woman named Julie Miller had actually crossed the finish line first, but was missing her timing chip. So that was the first time that we'd heard that there was no timing chip. And then what had happened is as she'd crossed the finish line, she said, oh, you know, I don't have a timing chip, but I'm Julie Miller and there's the time on the clock. Can you make sure you register my time? And what did she claim had happened to her chip? So she claimed that when she was getting changed, that her timing chip came off going into the first transition where you get your bike. The judges looked into it. And I think by the end of that evening, they disqualified her from the rankings. Like she just wasn't there anymore. They'd taken it down. So we thought, great, it was all sorted out. No problem. Then when it got to the awards ceremony, we thought that, okay, Suzanne's first, Claire's second, blah, blah, blah. So we're all standing backstage. They called the ladies up first. And then I think they did it round backwards. I'm not sure. They called up Claire third and she's like, what? And then Suzanne second and Suzanne's like, I don't know what's going on here. And Julie Miller first. So they're lined up and they've all got their awards kind of held up in front of them, standing on a stage facing the entire crowd. And there's this amazing photo of the four women discussing amongst themselves what on earth is going on. And Suzanne's pointing at Julie Miller. Uh, so everyone claps. Well done. You middle-aged triathletes can get off the stage. So as they go off, Suzanne literally ran over and, and kind of grabbed hold of Julie Miller's shoulder and said, where did you come from? I didn't see you out there. There's no way you beat me in that race. And Julie was like trying to basically get away at this point. And I remember just it being a, a surreal moment. I mean, triathletes are fairly nice to each other. And for someone to be so forceful, I think it's probably the only time I've ever seen that kind of frustration from one athlete to another. You just don't really get that. So we asked about it. And they said that she had come with her coach and very uh, forcefully said that, no, everything's good. That is the time that I should have run. James and Claire drive the five hours from Whistler to their home in Kelowna, British Columbia, unsure what to do next about this curious result. So we got home and I was kind of half looking at stuff, sitting there with a computer and an Evernote up on the screen. And I just thought, it's just a nightmare. Where do you start? You've got an entire day of stuff and times and people. And how do you know who was where and when? And she doesn't have a chip. There's nothing for me to check. Then I got a strange anonymous email saying, my name's The Honest Athlete. And I don't believe that this happened. There is no way she ran that. The Honest Athlete who'd sent me the email started to go down the path of looking at different times and she had some information, but it was all in a bit of a wrong order. So James started digging into the information. 
starting with photos posted online of the run section of the race. I mean, I am a coach, so I kind of know what people look like when they run. And from the photos, it was like, it doesn't look like the best runner in the world. Also, when you run and you run fast, you generate a lot of heat. She was wearing bright purple shoes, bright yellow socks. And for some reason, she decided to wear a coat for the first... <laughs> For the first bucket, I mean, it was a it was a run jacket, the kind of run jacket that you'd wear in winter. But I mean, that you, that's just not what an, a proper athlete does. So, looking at these photos, what other information were you able to glean? As I went through the pictures, I started to notice that Julie appears with other athletes. So at that point, I thought, well, I don't know where Julie is, but I know where these guys are, and they have their timing chips. And now I know where Julie is because she's basically standing next to the people who have a timing chip in their race number. So then I really started to be able to dial down where they were. And that meant that now I knew where Julie was at specific points in the race. So when I had a few of those, I could then work out how long it took for her to get from one place to another place. At that point, it was just a puzzle. And I became, you know, a bit fixated on solving the puzzle. At one point, it suddenly ended up at nine or ten at night. And I had been at it all afternoon. And Claire's like, James, stop. Can you come to bed? <laughs> and once you started triangulating all of this, what did you determine about Julie's movements and how she may have cheated the race? The point that we had her on the run course Either she spent ages and ages and ages getting to there and then would have had an insanely fast finish beyond any world record holder pace of any Ironman ever. Or we missed the first one and we got her on the second loop, in which case she had the most insane run ever. So it really didn't make any sense at all. So at that point, I think there was a shout that went upstairs to Claire and woke Claire up, who'd already been in bed for half an hour saying, OK, I think I've found it. <laughs> and what was Claire's reaction when you told her? Uh, <laughs> that was kind of it. <laughs> Claire doesn't care. You know, she'd done her performance. She'd seen her time. She was happy with what she did. And it was in the morning, really, where she kind of started to look at it a little bit more. I remember having the conversation. Do you think she knows? Like, genuine, could it be that she's gone round, missed a loop or missed an area or went to the toilet and turned around and went the wrong way? Did she do that and then get to the finish line and say, oh, my God, I've done really well? Maybe she was slightly confused and didn't quite realize what was going on. Maybe she genuinely thought that she'd done it. James sent the info to the Ironman Canada race officials, who then went to Julie for her explanation. They've said, we're going to temporarily remove you from the listings, but you have a certain amount of time to provide the evidence that you did the race. You didn't have a timing chip. Where's your watch GPS? Where's this, that, and the other? Um, she didn't have anything that could back it up and was simply insistent on that they accept her word for that. So what happened next? She started to create this snowball of chaos. She blatantly lied about it over and over again. I think at that point, her friends were phoning me up. Their only argument was, I know her, she wouldn't do it. But then when I showed them the details, I said, OK, I don't care whether she did it or not. Just tell me where this data is wrong. And they couldn't. She also tried to start some kind of social media campaign. This was around the time that the promotion of female empowerment. And she tried to use that against certain other female individuals to try and stop them from questioning what was going on and what was happening. 
But then there was also the um, targeting of the people that were trying to bring the correct outcome. She started to target those people specifically and try to create some kind of smear campaign against them. And at that point, I didn't care about what Julie thought. It was just a case of, well, you can't do that to these people that I know. And you're now trying to not only say that they're wrong, but create animosity within their hometown towards these people. It was just one of those things that you're kind of caught up in the middle of it. And that person just seems to be becoming more and more obnoxious, more and more arrogant, the fact that they were right, causing more and more trouble. In hindsight, maybe they were just getting more and more scared that they were going to get found out. I then started to hear rumors of, well, I've always thought that her result in China was a bit suspicious. And I've always thought her result in order to qualify for China was a bit suspicious. Once we started to look back at other races, it was just more blatant cheating. How was she cheating in those other races? Was it the same or totally different? They had two races running at the same time. And Julie was picking and choosing which distance race that she was in at any given moment. And obviously ended up with a very fast bike time, gave her a qualification for the ITU World Championships. At the ITU World Championships, we worked out that she didn't do the bike course, partly due to photos that were taken by her sister and sent to everyone on the Canadian team. So it was actually her sister's photos that kind of led to her downfall a little bit. So what does the downfall of a triathlete cheater look like? Like who's even paying attention to this stuff? There was lots of stuff online, Facebook pages, forums. Then other newspapers and stuff started to pick up on the story. It's just one of those crazy things that it went from something that should have been nothing to like a four-page spread in the New York Times and one of the biggest um, interaction stories that they've had with regards to the number of comments. And I think the phrase, they duly millered it, started trending at one point. What does that mean when you say they duly millered it? Uh, if someone got a, like a fast time that you thought was unusual, or if you were kind of jokingly implying that they cut the run course. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. And I think she actually might have even changed her name. She might have gone to her maiden name because Julie Miller is kind of such a, everyone knows the name. And did Julie ever resurface in the triathlon world or was that the end of her career? She stopped doing triathlon. I think she was banned from doing uh, a number of different triathlons but she started doing ultra running instead and i think or at least i hope that it's it's just something that's gone under the bridge and she doesn't think about in her day-to-day because like i said before we're just a bunch of middle-aged people running around in whistler it's not something worth wrecking your life over and why do you think this story resonated so much with people? With all the cheating going on in sports, I mean, we hardly go a day without hearing a story about some sort of cheating. Why did people decide to get so mad about this specific act? I think that um, there's a certain element of things that are done against the rules that are kind of socially acceptable. And then there's some things that are done that aren't socially acceptable with just blatant cheating. Like if you blatantly just don't do some of the course, it's like saying, I don't want to put the effort in, but I want all of the reward. And I think that there's an element of that that makes it worse than anything else. So knowing what you know now about how this story kind of exploded and detonated this woman's life, would you do it again? Would I do it again? I don't know. 
it never occurred to me at the time the repercussions of what I was doing. All I was thinking was, I've taken that person away who shouldn't be there, and now everything's right again. I mean, it's, I think it's one of those things it's worth thinking about. You know, there's always a person behind the name, but I just wasn't thinking like that at all. If I'd known in advance, maybe I would have just said, let's just leave it because it's not worth ruining someone's life for. But then the, the other part of me thinks that, you know, there should have been something done because it wasn't the right thing to do. And it's not my fault that she decided to deny it for so long. And at this point, are you hoping she eventually comes clean and admits it? Now, to be honest, there's a little part of me that thinks, you know what, you stuck to your guns this long. That's pretty impressive. I'd be almost disappointed, I think, if she came clean and said, yeah, I did it. Because I hope that there's a little bit of her that's thinking, screw you guys, I'm never going to tell you. And then just kind of goes on and uh, keeps it with her for the rest of her life. All right, that is it for today. Hope you enjoyed the episode. A big thanks to James Young for sharing his story. Check out the James and Claire World Traveling Adventures on Instagram at This Big Road Trip. And a reminder, if you have a moment, please rate and review the show and subscribe and all that good stuff. And also, we're probably around 50 different stories at this point. So please dig through the archives and find something that is up your alley. And if you have ideas for future episodes, please hit the tip line at trickerationnation at gmail.com. And as we do every week, we check in with the legend, Chris, Mad Dog Russo. Chris, how'd we do this week? Maddie, good job. Keep up the good work, pal. Thanks, Chris. All right. Talk to you guys next week. Trickeration is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.